Um, today we start a new sermon series called Reach. It is, you'll learn very quickly, it's a lot more than just a sermon series. It is a way that our church, Grace Fishers, is stepping into what we believe God has called us to as our next step. So I'm going to call um, our lead pastor, Kevin, up to explain that a little bit more to you guys. Well, good morning, Grace Fishers. It's good to be with you. Hi. Well, welcome to those in the room and welcome to those who are online. Well, two years ago, we began a new adventure as a church as we launched as an independent congregation. And the vision of those first two years was pretty simple. Keep the lights on. For those in business, we've been in startup mode this last two years. And more than surviving, we have thrived in many ways. As the closing prayer that Nathaniel, one of our pastors, shared last weekend from the book of Ephesians chapter 3, God has done more than we could ask or imagine. And beautiful and amazing things have happened over the past two years. For instance, lives have been changed, and we got a beautiful glimpse of that last weekend with 21 baptisms, another 70 baptisms over the last two years. Our ministries to kids and students and adults have continued to grow and flourish. There's also been this incredible sense of connection. As Ashlyn mentioned this morning, she talked about women's groups. Those have relaunched. Our men's groups and our life groups are continuing to grow and thrive. And you can see it on Sunday mornings as the service wraps up. You see pockets of people connecting in the auditorium, in the lobby, and people lingering. We've also, in that same time, explored how are we going to leverage and use this building to serve our community. We've done that in a variety of ways, but one of my favorites is that we launched the preschool, now have over 90 kids uh, that we're serving, and about half of those families uh, do not yet have a church home. And so this is a great way for us to begin to connect with them. And then it's been fun to see what's happened with the congregation. We've got a healthy congregation that's growing, that's serving. And you all have owned Grace Fishers in the past two years in some pretty amazing ways. And then most importantly, God has continued to show up faithfully again and again. And just when we began to realize that we needed something, um, God would show up and he would provide what we need. And it's been a reminder to us that the church, and when I say the church, I'm not just talking about Grace Fishers, but the church, all of the church, is his idea. And when we continue to trust him, he'll provide and his spirit will lead us. With all that said, towards the beginning of this year, our leadership, both our governing board of elders and our staff leadership team, began to recognize that the startup season was coming to an end and that God was taking us into a new season. And so we've been get begun to ask, what is that new season and what's next for Grace Fishers? And so today we're kicking off what we're calling the REACH initiative. And REACH will help us answer, what is God asking us to do on this next part of the journey? There are a number of opportunities ahead, some of which I don't believe we've discovered yet, And there's also a challenge that we need to address. So in this next season, I believe God wants us to focus primarily on one opportunity and one challenge. Let me first address the opportunity. And the opportunity is connected with the reason that we launched Grace Fishers a number of years ago. 
we wanted a place that we could have in our community that we could invite friends and neighbors to encounter the hope of Jesus. And I believe that the need is even greater today than when we launched Grace Fishers. People are increasingly isolated from one another, and their disconnection with God continues to grow. In fact, I was listening to a podcast on Friday, and it says 20, or sorry, 40 million people have left the church in the last 25 years. It's the largest shift, religious shift, uh, in um, U.S. history. There are many people around us that are looking for hope, and as a church and as individuals, we have a part to play. And so the opportunity is simply this. What if each of us would identify one person in our life that needs to encounter the hope of Jesus and begin to invest in their life? It's a simple idea, but it's an idea that would have significant impact on our community if we began to live it out. But we're also facing a challenge as a church, and it's a financial one. Now, here's the good news. We have been blessed with an incredible facility. You see it. But part of what we accepted two years ago as we launched as an independent congregation, we accepted ownership of the building. We also accepted uh, a large mortgage debt. Now, the good news is that we're financially healthy. Giving has been strong over the past two years. We are paying the mortgage down at an accelerated rate. We've added to our financial reserves over the past couple years, and the mortgage debt has been manageable. So that's all good news. But like all debt, it limits our ability to respond to what God is calling us to do. Our mortgage is 32% of our operating budget, so it limits our ability to care for our congregation. It also limits our ability to be generous with our ministry partners and others, um, and it restricts us uh, in other ways as we think about and begin to dream about what God may have for us in the future. And it's a barrier which is likely going to grow as interest rates continue to rise, and our loan interest rate is going to reset in September of 2024, which is just under a year from now. So part of the REACH initiative is addressing the mortgage challenge by seeking to uh, raise and pay down $2 million on our mortgage over the next two years. And I believe that this is a critical part of preparing our church for the future. So over the next eight weeks, I'm going to ask as your pastor for you to do three things. First is I want to encourage you to show up for the sermon series. We'll explore God's heart for the world both for those who are far from him and those of us who call ourselves disciples. I want to encourage you to be here every week, and if you're not able to make it, I want to encourage you to join us online. There's also a devotional guide which is going to follow the series that you can connect with in the Grace Fishers app that's got questions for reflection that uh, will challenge you to think about how, do you, uh, how can you be involved in this. And then we have an opportunity on Monday nights if you want to connect in a small group. Maybe your small group's not going through this series on Monday nights, led by Nathaniel, one of our pastors. Uh, It's a group that will meet at 630, another opportunity to connect and process what God is showing us. So show up for the sermon series. Secondly, we've got some special events I want to invite you to engage in. The first is a couple of vision gatherings, uh, one on April, or uh, sorry, October uh, 29th and November 1st, where we're going to go into more details, and it'll be a great place to begin to answer questions about what REACH is all about. 
And then on November 8th, we're going to have a prayer and worship night where we're going to ask God to begin to change our hearts and to begin to transform our community and the lives of people who are far from God. And after a time of worship in this auditorium, we're going to head throughout the building and pray that God is moving in all the spaces throughout this building. And then lastly, we'll be uh, on uh, November 19th, we're hosting an event here. This is a new event we've not tried before called Fall Fest. It's a free event that you can invite friends and neighbors to come experience a local cover band, My Yellow Rickshaw. There's going to be line dancing. There's going to be activities for kids, free food. It'll be a great time and a great opportunity for you to invite friends to experience church in a non-threatening way. So I want you to participate in the events coming up. And then lastly, and I think most importantly, I want to ask you to pray. I want you to be praying for what God wants to show us in these next weeks about his heart. And I want you to pray about what's he asking you to begin to do. Because on November 12th, we're going to come together as a congregation. And we're going to ask everyone that considers Grace Fisher's home to bring both a relational commitment and a financial commitment the relational commitment is who is God asking you to invest your life in in an intentional way. And the financial commitment is to encourage you to pray about what part can you play in helping reduce our mortgage debt. And reaching our community and reducing, uh, our, or reaching our financial goal is going to require us to commit and to sacrifice as a congregation. And to give you space to process that, there's also a weekly prayer guide that you can also access through our Grace Fishers app. Now hear me when I say this. Our desire is for this to be a positive experience for everyone who calls Grace Fishers home. We're excited about this new adventure and what lies ahead. And we would consider it a privilege if you would join us on this journey. And if you've got any questions or concerns along the way, please ask. Our leadership is an open book here. And so here's the invitation. A little over two years ago, as I invited the congregation into this adventure that we're on, I said we're going to be following Jesus' lead as he leads us on this new adventure and discover where he's taking us. And if you've been here, you've seen how God has shown up faithfully again and again. Now, God is inviting us into a new season of trusting him where he's leading us. And if, been, if you've been with us on this journey so far, I hope that you'll continue on the journey. But if you're new and you're just joining us, I hope that you'll join us on this new season of adventure as well. Even if you're still discovering who Jesus is, my hope is that you'll be a part of what God is doing here. And as we follow Jesus' lead, something begins to happen to us. We're changed. And my hope is, is over the next weeks, God will grip our hearts, both for this world and the opportunity that we believe that he's calling us to walk into. I also hope that this feels like a conversation, a conversation that's happening on Sunday morning or in your small group or with some of your friends, a conversation about where God is leading us. And while there's a clear opportunity and a clear challenge, I also believe God has more in store for us than we can ask or imagine, just like he's done the first two years. Now, we're going to launch out in this adventure um, in the same way we launched out two years ago. We're going to focus on the person of Jesus. 
And so over the next weeks, we're going to focus on stories of Jesus or things that Jesus said to his disciple, and we're going to explore God's heart for us and God's heart for this world. And I think it would be great for us to kick off this time with just taking a moment to pray and asking God to lead us. And so would you join me? Father God, I just want to begin with a couple of simple words. I just want to say thank you for the way that you have faithfully shown up again and again. And in more ways than I can even fully remember, you have continued to show up. And when I pause to think back, I just have a heart of gratefulness. And Father, I also believe that you have new things in store for us, new doors that you want us to walk through. And I just pray that you would continue to show us and that we would continue to trust you that we would follow your lead one step at a time. And Father, before we continue in our service, I just want to take a moment and pause for the events of this world, for anybody that's been reading the news. I want to pray for all that is taking place in Israel and the Palestinian territories. And Father, I know that our hearts are breaking like yours for another conflict in the world, another place where there's death and destruction, which is absolutely far from what you intended for this world. And I pray, Father, that you would intervene and that you would bring peace like only you can to this very troubled part of the world. And I pray, Father, if there's some way we as your people can be the voice of peace into this conflict, I pray that you would help us to see it. And Father God, as we just sang, we need you. We need you for what we experience in our daily lives. We need you for what all is happening in our world. But Father, we confess once again today and tomorrow and every day hereafter that we need you. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to begin with a story this morning that gives us a glimpse into Jesus' heart. For some of you, it may be a familiar story. For others, it might be new. And for everyone, I'm going to tell the story a little differently because I'm hopeful that you hear it differently. And so almost every week, I encourage you to grab a Bible or load up your Bible app. And this morning, I don't want you to do that. Um, and I'll tell you why. I'm sharing the story in, uh, it's, the story I'm sharing is actually captured in three of the Gospels, um, and I'm combining two of the accounts, and I'm adding a little bit more detail that I think we can infer from the story. It's captured in Mark and Luke and Matthew, though I'm combining Matthew and Luke's account. Now here's what your homework is to do this week. I want you to go back and read either the Matthew, or I'm sorry, either the Mark or the Luke accounts, and in fact in the discipleship guide, the Luke account is uh, is recorded. For now, what I want you to do is I want you to begin to see the story in your imagination. And in fact, when I begin to share the story, I want, I'm going to ask you if you're comfortable to close your eyes and just begin to see it in your imagination. Now, if you're tired uh, and you need a quick nap, um, I just want to encourage you, please don't wake up the person next to you with your snoring. So just a quick, quick word of encouragement. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to pay attention to what is God showing you as you listen to the story. And I'm curious if you will see yourself in the story, and if so, where? 
there's uh, religious, uh, religious leaders, the Pharisees that are in the story. There's a curious crowd that is looking to see uh, what, who Jesus is and trying to understand what he's teaching. There's also four friends that are carrying, uh, carrying their friend to Jesus. And then there's a man who needs to experience hope. And there's Jesus himself in the story. Now, if you see yourself as Jesus, I also want to encourage you to uh, make an appointment with Wendy, a care appointment with Wendy, one of our pastors. She would love to have a conversation with you. A little background before we dive into the story. The story happens early in Jesus' ministry, just as as he's beginning to be known. You see, he's a rabbi from a small nowhere town called Nazareth. Nothing much happens there. And Jesus hasn't studied under any notable rabbis. In fact, he hasn't studied under any rabbis. He just learned the scriptures since he was a child. His dad was a craftsman until this moment. He so was he. Now he's called a few of his disciples. In fact, he's called two pairs of brothers who also happen to be fishermen, Peter and Andrew, James and John. Jesus has also started to attract the attention of the religious leaders as he heads to Jerusalem over Passover, and he creates some controversy as he overturns the tables of the money changers and he drives out those who are selling animals in the temple. And he says to them, get out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a market? It's supposed to be a house of prayer. And then Jesus has also recently moved from his hometown of Nazareth to a new home base, a small city called Capernaum, which is a fishing village of about a thousand people along the Sea of Galilee, where a few of his disciples are from. And it's from there that Jesus began to teach and to share the good news about what it means to live in the kingdom of God. He's giving people hope, people who need fresh hope, that God sees them and that God cares for them. And he doesn't just teach with authority. He demonstrates that authority by by healing people and even casting out some demons. And Jesus travels around to the synagogues and the small towns around Capernaum. And it's there that Jesus' celebrity explodes. You see, Jesus does the unthinkable when he stretches out his hand and he touches a man with an advanced case of leprosy. And that touch completely heals the man. Now, Jesus tells the man to keep it quiet. In fact, he sends him to the priests in Jerusalem to offer a thank offering. But the man can't contain himself. Overjoyed, he tells everyone about what Jesus, how Jesus healed him. Instead of living life in isolation and experiencing a slow and painful death, this man has been restored to his family, to his people, and to his life. And as word spreads, the crowds around Jesus begin to grow. Some people are interested in his teaching. Some people need to experience that same healing touch, and others are just curious about who this man is. And so when Jesus returns to Capernaum a few days later, the news begins to spread quickly that he's back. And soon the house where he's staying is filled with people. In fact, it's packed and people are flowing out the front doors. 
and they're trying to get inside. But it's not just the curious and the sick who are getting in or trying to see Jesus. The Pharisees and teachers of the law take up some of the front row seats. And these men come from every corner of Israel. They come from the towns and the villages in Jerusalem, the center of the Jewish faith. These men are serious about God's law. They want to understand the rules that need to be followed. And they're curious about the kingdom of God. They're they're not sure that this young rabbi has it right. And in many ways, they're an obstacle to those who are curious and are seeking to encounter Jesus. And then the scriptures tell us this. And the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. You see, something big is about to happen. This is the point in the story where I want you to close your eyes and use your imagination and think about where you see yourself, what you see in the story, and if you see yourself. As Jesus is preaching God's word to the crowd and to the teachers of the law, four men arrive carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. We don't know how far they traveled, or we don't know how long the man has been paralyzed. We don't know if he's been this way since a child, or if this is the result of some recent accident. And why are they bringing them to Jesus? Let's face it, in their world, there are really no other options. They know that their friend is condemned to living a life of pain and poverty, living dependent on his family and relatives and the community. He's forced to live a life of begging. And then there's the shame. Not just the shame of the poverty, but the shame that his situation, the assumption that his situation is the result of his sin or the sin of someone in his family, maybe his parents. And they believe, people believe, that his situation is a mark of God's judgment. But one of the young man's friends received a glimmer of hope when he hears about a young rabbi who not only teaches with authority, but he says he has the ability to heal. And there's a story of him healing a man with leprosy. And so gathering three others, they begin the journey over dusty roads to take their friend to Jesus. And when they arrive at Capernaum, they ask about the rabbi and they're directed to a house. Now they know they've arrived at the right place because of the gathered crowd. It's noisy with so many people and with people trying to get in. People are packed so close together and the crowd seems to be getting larger by the minute. They look this way and they look that, but they can't seem to find a way through. But they're desperate to get their friend to Jesus because they know that everything will change if the Jesus will simply touch their friend like he touched this man with leprosy. And the men pause for a moment to catch their breath and they think. And one of them says what they're all thinking. What do we do now? No one seems to have any ideas, but after a few minutes of restless waiting, one of them finally points up to the roof of the house that they know Jesus is in. You see, these houses are different than ours, mostly structures of stone and brick or clay. They had flat roofs that are covered with clay tiles and and straw. And so as everyone is trying to get into the front door, they head around the back. 
they find a ladder and some ropes. And after discussion, they figure out how to carry their friend up the, to the roof. And once they're up there, they begin to clear away the straw and they begin to move the tiles. It's dirty and dusty work, but these men are determined to help their friend. Now Jesus noticed that the crowd in front of him is distracted by a commotion above. Straw and dust begin to filter down. And before they know it, the man who is paralyzed and laying on a mat is lowered down into the crowd immediately in front of Jesus. And Jesus, as he often does, stops what he's doing and he takes the situation in. And the crowd begins to wonder, will he touch the man like he did the leper? And his response surprises everyone. Seeing these men's faith, Jesus gives his full attention to the young man on the mat in front of him, but he doesn't touch him. He simply says, my child, your sins are forgiven. In this moment, I wonder what the young man thought. Was he aware of his own need for forgiveness? Or did he begin to wonder if he'd make a, made a mistake in coming to this rabbi? But we don't have to guess what the teachers of the law are thinking. What is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. And if this man needs forgiveness, let them take him to Jerusalem to the priests, the only ones who are offered or have the authority to offer forgiveness on behalf of God. Jesus knows immediately what they're thinking, so he asks them a question. Why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? I will prove to you that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Now this title that Jesus uses for himself comes from the book of Daniel, and it's a title of authority. And this authority that Jesus claims would allow him to suspense God's judgment, but instead he shares God's mercy with this man. And once again, he turns to the paralyzed man, but this time he says, stand up, take up your mat, and go home. Unfazed by the Pharisees' lack of faith, the man takes Jesus at his word, and he immediately jumps up, and as the crowd watches in amazement, he grabs his mat, and he walks out. There's an audible gasp as the onlookers are stunned, gripped with great awe and wonder, and they praise God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. Go ahead and open your eyes if they're closed. I don't know what you experienced or saw, but I think there's a few observations that we can make upon reflecting on this story. The first is that people are healed when they come to Jesus and take him at his word, but it's not always easy to get in there. You see, there are many obstacles for us and those around us to come to Jesus. There's our own self-sufficiency, our doubt, our sense of unworthiness, or maybe there's something from our past that keeps us away. Sometimes the church itself has been an obstacle. And we have an enemy that wants to keep us away as well. But when we can get people to Jesus and they encounter him, they experience hope in a fresh new way. 
And the second thing that we see from the story is we see Jesus' heart for the lost one. And this isn't the only time we see Jesus' heart in the gospel. We see story after story where Jesus sees the person right in front of him. He sees what they need, and he gives it to them. In another interaction with the Pharisees in Luke chapter 15, Jesus repeats to the Pharisees what his heart for, and he tells them three stories. He tells them the story of a lost sheep that's wandered away from the flock and of a good shepherd that goes and retrieves that sheep. He tells them about a woman who has lost a coin and she searches her house until she finds that coin and she celebrates because it's something of great value. And then he finishes it off by telling them the story of the lost son, a son who took his inheritance and he left his family And the story, though, is not as much about the son as much as it is about a father who loves his son so deeply that he watches and waits day after day after day until one long day that son comes, returns home, and the father runs out to meet him and celebrate his return. You see, Jesus goes after the one, and he invites us to have that same heart. And so the question that I want us to end with today is who's one person in your life that needs to experience the hope of Jesus? And ideally, this is somebody that lives locally, uh, that you have the opportunity to connect with regularly, somebody that you're willing to invest your life in. And this is a simple idea, a simple vision, but I think it's a call from God to renew our hearts for those who are lost from him. And I think it's easy for us to get busy as a church doing a lot of activities and miss the heart of what God is calling us to do. Now, I know some of you just do this naturally. You're constantly reaching out. But this is something that we all need to be doing. And imagine what would happen in our world if we all begin to invest in the life of one person. Somebody in our neighborhood or at school at a job, maybe on a sports team or another interest group that we're a part of, maybe somebody even in your own family. But I believe um, things would begin to happen if we began to pray for that person as we reached out to them. And that's simply what I'm asking you to do. Now, many of you might know who that person is. As we talk about this story, you might immediately begin to think about who that person is. But if you don't know who that person is, I want to ask you to begin to pray and ask who God would bring into your life. And then second thing for all of us is once you know who that person is, simply take a step to them. You know, if it's somebody that you know, invite them out for a cup of coffee. Um, If it's somebody that you've been friends with and haven't connected with for a while, simply send them a text. Do something simple to take a step towards that person. And if we begin to do that, there are people that will experience hope that don't currently have hope. And many people will experience the healing that only Jesus can bring. You see, friends, we've spent the first two years on this adventure with God building and strengthening us as a congregation. But I believe that he's done those things for a reason and a purpose. And I believe that he's calling into that purpose in a clear way in this next season. You see, we can't heal people's hearts. We can't change their hearts. But what we can do is we can point them 
to the place where we found hope and invite them to encounter the hope of Jesus for themselves. Now, I know there's been a lot shared this morning, and so I'm going to give you a couple of moments just to reflect and begin to pray. And here's, there's going to be some questions on the screen. Here's a couple of things that you can begin to reflect on. Maybe God brought something to your attention in the story of the paralyzed man that he just wants you to spend a couple moments reflecting on. Or maybe for you, you need to begin to pray about who's that one person in your life that needs to experience the hope of Jesus. Or maybe if you know that one, maybe you should begin to pray for them and pray what that next step is that God is calling you to take.